just una margarita, a little daisy flower, a little sniffling, <laughs> snuffling, <laughs> whining. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed filled with stories for you and your family. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a delight for me every time you bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And there are a lot of ways to do it. You could join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed to listen to the show or listen to past episodes of the show. More than 2,000 of them now, each one of them filled with stories for you and your family. You can Google the Appleseed podcast and subscribe for something new just about every day. Not only the full hour-long episodes like the one you're enjoying here, but also mini-episodes. We call them Appleseed Extras, just a single single story long, just a few minutes in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill them with a great story. You can find them all, again, by Googling the Appleseed Podcast or by visiting us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. You know, stories can help us know that we're not alone in the world. As we start to hear the stories of more and more people, we get a sense that we're all traveling together in a community of human beings. And we've got some great stories for you today, stories that will take you to places that you haven't been and where you'll recognize yourself. You'll have something that resonates in a familiar way with you in the stories that we'll hear today. One from Carisu Aviar, a story called Por qué el gallo canta en la mañana? Why rooster crows in the morning? And you'll hear uh, a little piece about a neighborhood chili cook-off. It's about the time of year for that kind of thing. And you'll hear from Lynn Ford with a wonderful story called Canso's Garden from a collection of stories called When the Gourd Broke, Common Sense Stories. But first, we're going to hear this story from Carrie Sue Aviar. It's from a collection called Cuéntame un Cuento, Tell Me a Story, bilingual tales uh, from Carrie Sue. And this one, of course, Why Rooster Crows in the Morning, is something of a pourquoi tale. Now, you've, you may have heard us use that phrase here on the show, pourquoi, pourquoi stories. Pourquoi, of course, is a word that means uh, why or how come. And uh, these stories are kind of storytelling ways to explain how something came to be the way it came to be, a story that was invented to explain something like that. This is a little pourquoi story told part in Spanish, part in English by Carrie Sue Aviar. Por qué el gallo canta en la mañana? Why rooster crows in the morning? Here on the Appleseed. Si canta el gallo. That is how rooster sings. Or at least, that's how he crows if it's a Spanish-speaking rooster. No cock-a-doodle-doo for him. Mm-mm. Y gallo, rooster is quite proud of his fine singing voice. He knows how good he is. So he wasn't in the least bit surprised when he was invited to sing for la boda de su tío Perico, his uncle the parrot's wedding. Mm-hmm. On the morning of the wedding, he got up and made sure he looked especially good. He preened his feathers, cleaned his beak, and slicked back his bright red comb. And he started off for the wedding of his tío Perico. 
Well, as he walked along the road, he noticed un montoncito de basura, a little pile of trash. But what he really noticed was just on top of that pile of trash was un granito de maíz, a kernel of corn. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but corn to roosters is like, well, like chocolate to some of the rest of us. Ooh, it looks so good, sabroso, delicioso, flavorful and delicious. Oh, irresistible, just irresistible. That gallo, that rooster saw that corn, he went right over toward it. Oh, me la voy a comer, I'm going to eat it up. But then he thought better. No, 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 mejor no, I better not. Si me ensucia el pico, what happens if I get my beak all dirty? No, 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 no. Oh, but that corn looks so good. Si, 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 si. No, 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 no. Si, 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 si. No, 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 no. But every time he said yes, he got a little bit closer until at last, he swallowed it right on down. But, oh, no, 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 no. Su pico, his beak. He had got his beak all dirty when he did that. Oh, now what is he going to do? He looked around and he noticed una margarita, a little daisy flower, con petalos blancos, white petals like linen napkins. Ooh, that's what he could use to clean his beak. He called for it. Margarita, Margarita, daisy, limpi me el pico, clean my beak so that I can go and sing at my tío Perico's wedding. But the daisy refused. No. No quiero. I don't want. Como que no quieres? What do you mean you don't want to? Que voy a hacer entonces? What will I do then? He looked around and he noticed una oveja, a sheep that was grazing in the meadow. El gallo called out to the sheep. Oveja, oveja, sheep. Benaka, come here. I want you to chew on that flower's petals. She won't clean my beak so that I can go and sing at my Tio Perico's wedding. But the sheep wasn't about to. Meh, no, no quiero. I don't wanna. <gasps> Como que no quieres? What do you mean you don't want to? The guy who looked around and he saw... El perro, the dog, he called for him. Perro, perro, come here, come here, dog. I want you to bite that sheep. Sheep won't chew on the flower. Flower won't clean my beak. And I can't go and sing at my uncle's wedding looking like this. But the dog had other ideas. <laughs> no, no quiero. I don't wanna. Como que no quieres? What do you mean you don't want to? Que voy a hacer? What am I going to do? He looked around and he saw un palo, a stick lying in the middle of the road. He called for the stick. Palo, palo, stick, get up. I want you to hit that dog. Dog won't bite the sheep. Sheep won't chew on the flower. Flower won't clean my beak. And I can't go and sing at my uncle's wedding looking like this. But the stick just lay there. No, no quiero. I don't wanna. <gasps> Como que no quieres? What do you mean you don't want to? Que voy a hacer? What am I going to do? I cannot go and sing at the wedding like this. He looked around and El Gallo saw El Fuego. He saw the fire. He called to it. 
Fuego, fuego, fire, come and burn this stick. Stick won't hit the dog, dog won't bite the sheep. Sheep won't chew on the flower, either flower won't clean my beak so that I can go and sing at my uncle's wedding. But the fire didn't want to. No, no quiero. I don't want to. Como que no quieres? What do you mean you don't want to? And looking around, the rooster saw agua, water in a pond. He called to that. Agua, agua, water. I want you to jump up and put out that fire. Fire won't burn the stick. Stick won't hit the dog. Dog won't bite the sheep. Sheep won't chew the flower. And flower will not clean my beak so that I can go and sing at my uncle's wedding. But water didn't want to either. No, no quiero. I don't wanna. <gasps> Como que no quieres? What do you mean you don't want to? Que voy a hacer entonces? What am I going to do then? And he looked around until he looked up and saw el sol, the sun. So he called to the sun. Sol, sol, sun, I want you should dry up the water. Water won't put out the fire. Fire won't burn the stick. Stick won't hit the dog. Dog won't bite the sheep. Sheep won't chew on the flower. And flower refuses to clean my beak so that I can go and sing at my uncle's wedding. Y el sol, the sun, agreed on one condition. Si tu me haces un favor, if you do me a favor, I will help you. You see, Gallo, I hear that you have a fine singing voice. Es la verdad, es la verdad. It is true, said the rooster. Well then, said the sun, if you will go and wake me up every morning, I have a hard time getting up, and when I don't get up, Everyone gets upset. If you will sing to me tres veces, three times every morning, then I will do you this favor. And Rooster looked at the sun and said, Sale y vale, it's a deal. So Sun began to dry up the water. Well, when water felt that, he jumped up and started to put out the fire. When fire felt that, he jumped up and started to burn the stick. When Stick felt that, he got up and started hit on that dog. When the dog felt that, he went over and began to bite that sheep. When Sheep felt that, oh, she jumped over and she began to chew on that flower. Well, no sooner did the flower feel that, than she started to clean off the beak of that rooster until it was clean and shiny and, ooh, he looked good again. And off he set once again for the wedding of Estillo Perico. Well, he made it there just in time, and I understand they had a wonderful time with lots of celebration. He sang, and they danced, and, well, they didn't get back until late, late that night. Sure enough, the next morning, El Gallo, rooster, was tired, but una promesa es una promesa. A promise is a promise. So even though he was awfully tired. Gallo got up early before the sun and he sang tres veces, three times, to wake the sun. And do you know? Gallo, rooster, has been crowing to wake the sun ever 
sins. Kikiriki, kikiriki, kikiriki. Carrie Sue Aviar starting off our hour today together with a story called Why Roosters Crow in the Morning. Por qué el gallo canta en la mañana. A pleasure to hear from Carrie Sue as we begin an hour together that will include uh, in just a moment an entry in the Radio Family Journal about an odd experience with a bucket full of fish and a conversation with a friend that will fill us with thoughts of community traditions, maybe help you think of some of the traditions shared by the people that you count among your community. And that's all coming up. Uh, It's going to be a rich hour. I'm Sam Payne. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago we heard from Carrie Sue Aviar, a story called Por Que El Gallo Canta en la Mañana, Why Rooster Crows in the Morning, a little Pourquoi story. Now, that was a bilingual story in Spanish and English, and pourquoi is French for why or how come, but every story that is made up to explain why something is the way it is, we put into that category these pourquoi stories. It was great to start our hour together with one of those tales. Coming up, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be Uh, the spark that ignites a story for you to share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. Here's a memory of mine, an unusual memory about an interaction with a bucket full of fish. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. I've always liked fishing, but the truth is I've never really been very good at it. I had one incredibly successful fishing day when I was in sixth grade. I tagged along with my pal Eric Murdoch and his cousins, and we drove a couple of hours on paved roads and then for an hour or so on dirt roads and then hiked a bit until we came to... Well, it wasn't even a lake, really. It was a big mossy pond, and we caught a bunch of fish. I caught a bunch of fish as many as I could legally catch, and I watched Eric's brothers clean the fish, which left me with a, I don't know, horrified new respect for those guys. And then, triumphant, I went home to my folks laden with fish, dinner for the next few nights. It happened once. Most of the other times I've been fishing have run more along the lines of this time I'm going to tell you about now. It's the fishing trip of a complete bonehead, and I almost can't believe I'm telling you about it. My kids and I, as it turns out, went to a local fishing pond, and we caught a bunch of fish. And the kids didn't want to eat them or release them. They wanted to keep them as pets. And we had a little pond at home, so we brought the fish home and released them in the kids' plastic swimming pool while we prepared the pond for habitation by these fish. Anyway, long story short, we decided in the end that those fish were not going to thrive in the pond that we had first thought so perfect for them, which left us thinking that we needed to take them back to the pond where we'd caught them and let them go. They were still very much alive, swimming vigorously, the untrained person might say happily, exuberantly around the plastic swimming pool. 
and we thought they'd be okay to travel back to their pond of origin, and they'd be fine. Now, I know more about fish than I did then. I know how naive I was to pursue such a course right from when we caught the fish in the first place. But back then, well, I was naive. And, well, it gets better, or rather worse. In those days, I made a lot of my living playing live music at all kinds of events. I had a band. And that night, the band was playing at a wedding reception, and I thought I'd take the fish back to the pond on the way to the gig. And I got ready for the gig, but not before carefully getting the fish into a big bucket full of water. There were six of them. And I carefully loaded the bucket into the cab of the truck full of band gear, and I headed toward the pond. But as I was headed out there, I got a phone call. It was one of my bandmates wondering where I was. The gig, as it turns out, was set to start a half hour before I thought. My mistake. And giving a moment's thought, but not more than a moment's thought, to the fish. I turned the truck around and headed for the gig, sure in my naivete that the fish would be okay for the couple of hours of the wedding reception and that I'd take them to the pond afterward. Well, the wedding reception went great, and I imagined the fish happily swimming in their bucket waiting for me to take them blissfully back to their pond home. And after the gig, in the dark, I loaded the music gear back into the truck and drove to the pond, noticing how quiet the fish had gotten, how still was the water in the bucket. Nighttime. I thought the fish are asleep. That's what they do at nighttime, right? And then I got to the pond and pulled the bucket out of the car and walked to the edge of the pond and gently poured the water out of the bucket into the pond. I did it under a flashlight, and it was under a flashlight that I noticed that no fish came out of that bucket, only water. No fish at all. My brow furrowed, and I went back to the truck. And with flashlight in hand and a sinking heart, I found the couple of fish that were under the passenger seat and the one that was under the driver's seat and the three that were in the back seat all accounted for all having leaped from the bucket sometime during the gig all having met their demise at the hands of my boneheadedness i felt like the six-year-old kid i met later who told the story of feeling the water in the family aquarium and thinking the fish would be too cold in there so carefully using the net to catch each one and put it under the covers of his bed to help keep them warm the difference of course was that he was a six-year-old and i was a grown-up person i think i would not make the same mistake again but I have no doubt that 20 years from now I'll be telling a story about something dumb that happened right about now because of something I haven't figured out now but will have figured out then. It's the way of things, isn't it? I guess the only postscript to this story is that as my penance, maybe, I have a half dozen tiny pet fish in a well-kept aquarium. I've had them for years, and they're still doing fine. Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. In just a little bit, a little piece about a community chili cook-off. You'll want to listen for that and also think about some of the community traditions shared by the people that you count among the members of your community. But first, speaking of community, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. From tales passed down, telling to telling around the fire or 
around the living room, to great books that we read, terrific stories that we find there, and the things we see on screen, and the wonderful memories that we associate with great pieces of music, and of course, our interactions with terrific food are some of the greatest inspirations for some of the most enduring memories and stories in our lives. We love to talk about all of those things, and I'm delighted to have in the studio with me Jenna Parker. Jenna, it's great to have you back on The Appleseed. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. And listen, Jenna Parker is the is the proprietor, uh, this has got to be the best in the world, <laughs> right, of, uh, of an outfit called uh, Max a la mode. Now, the Max there is macarons, right? Yes. Yeah, and yes. we're talking about, imagine an ice cream sandwich made in a macaron. Yes. Now, just let that hang out for a second. It's that is all right. That's wonderful, <laughs> wonderful stuff. And we've talked. A, we've talked a little bit about. I think I got. I think I got most acquainted with macarons. I. I, I almost hate to say this, by uh, not by personal experience, but by watching. The Great British Baking Show. Yes. <laughs> yes, I always have. Whenever there's a new season, there's plenty of people. You should go on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as British. we watch, right? Yeah, yes. Right. As we watch that show, we, we often think, oh, well, I mean, sh- sh- absolutely the pressure is on. I mean, that's like white knuckle stuff, right? right? Even though they're only making food for a couple of people. They're only right. making food yes. for Paul Hollywood and whoever else, right? But... um. And sometimes my wife and I look at each other and think, oh, let's see how these guys do, you know, put in front of a family reunion or a right. church dinner or yes. something like that, right? <laughs> and you've been in that position. Yes. Uh, suddenly you find out you're cooking not for one or two people, but for 40 people. What do you do? Tell us that. We yes. we were chatting before the mics went hot <laughs> yes. about this experience you had. Tell us a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, so this isn't actually a very uncommon occurrence in my family. I come from a big family. I mean, we're born and raised in... <laughs> in Utah. Yeah. And so, of course, there's a lot of us there. So oftentimes we show up for a family dinner and there could be 10 more people than we expected. <laughs> um, once a month, we have a big family dinner with that many people in our family. There's always a birthday each month. Sure. So we yeah. have a big family dinner once a month. And and this this past Sunday, I showed up and there were 40 people. <laughs> <laughs> so that's always a fun surprise. But I'm, but I'm used to cooking for a lot of people. And you had expected more people than just your right. immediate family, yes. right? But 40 yes. people but walked through the door. But 40 was a bit shocking. There were definitely some times during dinner where not everybody had a seat <laughs> to sit down. <laughs> or they pulled up a chair to, to the counter in the kitchen. How did, how did, how did you fare? It was, it was good. We definitely cook potatoes by the bag yeah. <laughs> not not just a couple of potatoes we do we do gravy by the gallon oh golly wow. <laughs> and that's homemade white gravy and just i've i've spent countless hours sitting in front of the pot stirring the gravy so it didn't burn on the bottom <laughs> and from from a really young age being able to make really good gravy from scratch and mashing the potatoes oh, in a big wow. huge stock pot that hold Holds forty pounds of potatoes, <laughs> and certainly you're not the only one making that food, no, right? No, I mean, definitely. I, I'm thinking about you talking about from a very young age, mm-hmm. learning to do some of those things, mm-hmm. and now you, with a family of your own, calling on everybody to to you know, it's kind of all hands on deck in a situation like that. Definitely. And some people have a lot of skills, and some people have a few skills, but everybody <laughs> gets pressed into service. Yeah? Definitely. 
Yes. <laughs> what What are you teaching your kids to do? My kids, my there's a show, a kid show on actually called Butterbeans Cafe, and my son loves it. It's about these cute little fairies, and they run a little bakery, and so they make these things. So he will come into the kitchen and say, Mom, let's put on our aprons and let's play Butterbeans. So I'll huh. say, okay. So he'll help me stir whatever I'm making. So on Sunday, I may, on the birthday Sundays, I make a make a birthday cake every every wow. month. So we got sick of the, the grocery store birthday cakes every month, so about five or so years ago, I started making them every month. Yeah. Um. So he will climb up on a stool. He'll tie on an apron with me, and he's in charge of the whisk. Whatever there is to whisk, he will go to town. Ah. Uh, see, that was <laughs> going to be my question. Forty people walk through the door, and you think, "I know what I'm going to do. What am I going to ask? What help am I going to ask yes. from the boy?" Right. Yep. <laughs> and and you put a whisk in his hand. Yep. That's we put a whisk do. in his hand, and he's a happy camper. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, I'm uh so potatoes and yes. homemade gravy. Homemade and- Gravy. What else went on the table for these forty? These forty, it was it was a big pork roast this week. Oh um, my word! Well, short ribs, pork short ribs that my dad makes, and they are so good and just delicious. Um, usually, it's it can be a three huge pans of meatloaf sometimes. Wow. Um, if we're doing um, barbecue chicken in the summer, we fill up the entire grill with barbecue chicken. <laughs> um, if we're making shish kebabs in the summer as well, it's it's a whole a whole assembly line to make sure we get those done. Well, what a wonderful tradition to bring the whole extended family. I mean, certainly right. those who are who are close by, right? Mm-hmm. But the entire extended family in for a bir- for for a for a dinner a month, right? right? And of course, some of those are birthday celebrations and mm-hmm. things like that. What a great way to keep everybody not only uh together but happily together right, right? great food that's the key <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know sitting around the the table together and mm-hmm. that that in my family of course is when when people are drawn together into close quarters like that that's when the stories start to fly that's right. when you start to say hey do you remember when i was in mom tell me stories about when i was in elementary school <laughs> yes. that i hear still from my adult kids mm-hmm. right Yes. Isn't that great? Oh, well, what fun to chat a little bit about monthly dinners. And listen, it's always fun to talk about macaron ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> uh, you can find Max a la mode on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, it's a pleasure to have the proprietor of that establishment with us, Jenna Parker. Thank you so much for joining us on The Appleseed. Thanks, Sam. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. A pleasure to talk about the concept of cooking a meal for a large group like that, especially in an episode of The Appleseed in which we're talking just a little bit about community. Maybe you've got uh, thoughts rolling in your head about the community that you are a part of, the members of that community and some of the things that they share. Of course, we're all part of the same community as human beings, and telling stories together helps us remember that, helps us remember that we're not alone. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear about a community chili cook-off coming up in just a second here. I'm Sam Bain. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. We've been thinking thoughts and sharing stories about being part of a community today. And I'm uh, happy to be joined in the studio by Jenny Goldsbury, an old friend 
who is going to tell us a little bit about a community tradition that characterizes her community. Jenny, it's great to have you with me. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. <laughs> I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about here. This is, there's something that happens every year in your neighborhood, right? Yeah. Let, let's hear about it. I am very excited to talk about it, too. It's something I'm actually pretty proud of, even though I participate in it very little. <laughs> it's the Neighborhood Chili Cook-Off. I've been living in the same neighborhood for maybe 10 years, and still, every year at the Chili Cook-Off, I'm surprised by who comes. I don't know everybody who comes. And people bring their aunts, their uncles, their grandparents, their friends, everybody, because it's a showcase of their cooking skills. It's more than just a sort of friendly competition, but it's like an exposition of their family recipes of chili. <laughs> so we're talking about chili of all kinds. You just eat chili all day. Yeah, I mean, it's a great evening. There is a potluck for those families like my family where we just bring either dessert or cornbread. Those are sort of safe side dishes. Nobody's really comparing each other's cornbread. That's not the competition. The competition <laughs> That's not part of the competition. It's all about the chili. <laughs> exactly. When I went this year, it was so full of people. There wasn't even enough seats for everybody. There were people just standing around, people sitting on coolers. It was completely packed. <laughs> and I imagine that uh, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of like, you're going down and you're going down and my chili's going to kill your chili. <laughs> totally, totally. Smack talk usually begins in October. It can get pretty ugly because it's not just an insult to your personal chili. It's an insult to your family's tradition of cooking chili. <laughs> Neighbor against neighbor, father against grandfather. Oh, gosh, I bet there are all kinds of terrific rivalries, right? <laughs> totally, totally. There are some clear winners, though. For example, a family who's won almost every year is the Davies family. And they are large in reputation and in stature. They're very tall, they're very powerful, and they just rule the chili cook-off every year. November comes and he starts getting the meat sweats. He's like, it's coming, it's coming. He said to me today, I made all the chili, so can you go home and bottle it all? And I'm like, uh, okay, sure, but I can. <laughs> Literally this pot is, it's probably two feet tall, two and, half, two and a half feet tall. It's, it's pretty big around, too, and you so can I'm carrying that up. Child in it. Do you remake it every year? That vat doesn't last you, like, oh. two years? Oh, we eat it like crazy. We eat it. Really? Yeah. He's the, he's the chili dog master. He's the chili. The right. chili dog? Well, the hot dog. The hot, <laughs> hot dog chili boy. So. They bring it in the same crock pot, too, the same bright red crock pot so that everybody knows this is the Davies chili. This is the one that's going to win this year. You guys, uh, as you mentioned, you, you go to spectate, right? And you yes. bring desserts and cornbread and stuff like that. You, you don't really compete, though. No, no, it's too much. It gets really ugly and it's kind of scary. And especially going up against a family like the Davies who have won year after year, it's too intimidating. And so my mom has contributed in maybe a more significant way than the actual chili. But she has inspired the plateware that has been introduced to the event for years now. The plateware? Yes. How about that? <laughs> I'll let her tell you herself. Well, you know, they usually have like 12 to 15 people that are competing. 
And I just, I was only able to taste one in a bowl and maybe another one in my plate. And I was, I didn't want to have to get up five, six times and have people see me get up to get more and more. So one year I decided to bring a muffin tin so that I could get at least a taste of six different chilies. At first they were looking at me kind of weird. Then when they saw me pouring different, like six different chilies, they were like, oh, that's brilliant. Oh, I should have thought of that. I'm going to do that next year. The second time I brought 12 count. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a fantastic way to eat chili. <laughs> and your poor husband, I mean, you know, you, you, you marry into a family. And you have no idea what you're getting yourself into, what traditions you're 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 gonna find yourself kind of signing off on. Oh when, yeah, when you marry into the family, <laughs> right? So, what does your husband think of all this? So he can get into it. He's not about to introduce his own family's chili recipe into the competition, but he's there to eat it. He was happy to be there. He actually sort of gave a description of what it was like walking in this year, and I'll let him tell it. So there's a spread of probably 20 to 30 different chilies. There are people all over the place excited eating and taking numbers because each chili is identified by a number, and then they're all going to vote. We've all been given tickets, and we can vote on which chili we think is the best. It looks like it's going to be a competitive evening filled with delicious food and friendly competition. Now, this year, you mentioned that there were 26 different chilies entered into the cook-off. But it's like even more of an event than just chili on... I mean, like like build a stage and stuff like that. Yeah. There were people performing all throughout, stand-up comedians, singers, pianists, dancers. It was incredible. Rob, my husband, mentioned how we were given raffle tickets, and they built a stand just to hold the mason jars where we would put our raffle tickets to vote for each chili. They built it right there out of plywood, and they took it down that night. It was just for the chili cook-off because it's that big of a deal. (laughs) Do you ever get insights into the actual recipes i mean are, are these carefully guarded family secrets or tell us tell us what's in some of this you know chili. they can be carefully guarded sometimes when you arrive though people are lobbying for you to tr- at least try their chili maybe even vote for it even the children of the parents who have cooked the chili are going around table to table vote for 26 vote for 26 vote for 26 uh and sometimes they reveal a little something Uh, For example, somebody might approach you in a sort of sly manner in a back alley and say, my chili's got steak in it. And that's sort of a hint to how good the chili will be. And that happens constantly. But I've never heard of anyone revealing the entire recipe. Craig Davies, for example, of the reigning chili cook-off champion family, talks a little bit about his own recipe and how he never changes it. I'll let him talk about it. If they wanted my recipe, I'd give it to them. <laughs> yeah. Who knows, they may give it to somebody else. I, I may need to just keep that until I go to the grave. He great. had a recipe that he would not give to anyone. His niece begged and pleaded. I give all my recipes out. I really do. I, other than now my chili. It used to be my, my chocolate chip cookies that I wouldn't give out to What did you do? You made her sign in blood or something that she would never <laughs> even share it. I told her that she had to give me her firstborn child. And, I wrote up a contract for her and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Davies talking about 
little about the family chili recipe, right? But there, sometimes in a competition like this, there's like it can get so cutthroat that there might even be like, you know, how do you, how do you cheat in a in a chili cook-off competition? <laughs> well, it can get pretty sneaky. Uh, you cheat by getting somebody in your family on the judges panel. They're <laughs> randomly selected every year. It's never the same judges panel, and families have given the judges tastes of their chili prior to the cook-off, allegedly. Allegedly. Though that is uh, against the rules, right? No pre-tasting. No, no, of course, because then they will recognize it no matter what the number is, no matter what the crock pot it's put in is. And so Craig Davies has lost twice in the whole history of chili cook-offs, and he chalks it up to cheating on the part of other contestants. Here's his take on it <laughs> and you lost another year and it was hilarious we won't mention any names oh there was two years that there was cheating going yeah, on there was a Ano- tie. another time there was a somebody who won and his son was the was one of the judges and the judges were saying he kept trying to convince us to to you know pick this one as first place all sorts of cheating that goes yeah, on major cheating <laughs> Craig Davies' take on his couple of losses in so many years, right? Which and he he's he's leveling accusations of cheating, right? Yep. That 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 trophy should have gone to him every year, right? <laughs> That's the only reason he could have lost. <laughs> well, th- this is a competition that you know is open to all ages. Do do the youngsters ever kind of get into it? Andrew is a kid my age who decided to enter his own chili for the first time last year. His family had never really competed in the chili cook-off, and he just decided, I'm going to start trying to compete. And because he's so new, he's sort of still trying to perfect his recipe, but he really got excited about it because he loves the chili cook-off just as much as I do, so he wanted to be a part of it as to keep it going. (laughs) So this is like he's beginning a legacy in his family, right? Exactly. I mean, years from now, his grandchildren will be sharing grandpa's chili recipe in the chili cook-off. Right? Exactly. And so this year, uh, his girlfriend and he made a white chili. And oh. so I'll let him talk about it. We just Googled um, white chicken chili, and it was the first one that came up. I didn't notice. I liked that it said... Uh, Chili de chicken blanco. Yep. That was the one, right? I was like, <laughs> the mix of, of Spanish and English. Is we thought we'd give him a little Spanglish flair. All of this sounds very delicious. I just got to tell you. What a wonderful town tradition. You know, of course, at the end of the night, fun and games is over. Votes are tallied. Winners announced, right? Yes. And this year, they sort of announced it in a funny way. Typically, you... The winners are announced third place, second place, first place as to build up suspense in the room. But this year, the first place winner was announced first, which confused all of us. We all thought that meant he was third place. And so the champion, Craig Davies, was announced first. And you can hear a sort of gasp go across the room as we all thought, no. The Davies didn't win this year? (laughs) 
another win for the Davies. I, 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 I can hardly tell you that it was suspenseful, right? <laughs> your, your description of them winning every year left me prepared for that, right? <laughs> for sure. But, but what a weird, like you say, what a strange, it's, that, that's the, of course, this is the, this is the, uh, the organizers of the contest saying, oh, we'll announce it in a different way to kind of freak the Davies out, right? <laughs> I'm sure they were all in on it. <laughs> uh, what was also nice about the way the organizers of the event did it is that they tried to give everybody some credit. Uh, they also awarded uh, an Inferno chili, awarding the most spicy chili. They awarded the sweetest chili. And then they went down the line and essentially read aloud compliments that the judges had for every single chili as to try and buffer any hard feelings about losing. Oh, but it was Those nice. are like Pinewood Derby Awards, right? It's like the <laughs> most creative, the one that looks most like a watermelon, the, totally. you know, whatever, right? <laughs> Well, what a fantastic contest. It's it's been such a pleasure to kind of step into the world of your neighborhood, Jenny Goldsberry. Thanks. I love my neighborhood. I'm proud of my neighborhood and I love to eat chili. A pleasure to chat with Jenny Goldsbury about the chili cook-off, a neighborhood tradition that may put you in mind of some of the traditions shared by the members of your community. Think about those. Those make for stories worth sharing. We hope you do, and we hope that you share them with us. We'd love to hear from you, and you can send us an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. We're going to wrap up today with a story from the wonderful storyteller Lynn Ford. This is a story called Kunso's Garden. It's a story from Haiti. And in this story, a drought has devastated the land. And one man, Kanso, is the only person with a flourishing garden. And he has enough to feed everybody, but in his greed, he won't give anyone anything. Well, that sounds like the beginning of a story to me. Here's Lynn Ford with Kanso's Garden here on The Appleseed. When story is told in Haiti, it can begin with two words, creek, crack. The storyteller would call out creek, and the listeners would call out crack. It lets the storyteller know that people are listening, lets the listeners know the storyteller is ready to tell. But what does creek, crack mean? Nothing. It's kind of like the sound of a twig breaking, but it serves the purpose of beginning a story. And in story, sometimes all the listeners get to help. So if you'd like to help with this story, you can. In this story, there are little bluebirds. They flap their cute little wings. And as they flap their wings, in the Haitian Creole French, they would say, eh oui, which means in American English, oh yes. And that's what you do. You flap your cute little wings and you call out, oh yes. In this story, there are mourning doves. They're relatives to pigeons. They sit like kings and queens, the way you see pigeons sit in the parks. And they say, Oh, yes, and so do you. In this story, there is one great big bird by the name of Malfini the hawk. Now, Malfini means bad end, but he's not a villain in this story. He's just a big bird with wings so wide that when he takes off from the ground, sometimes one wing will slap the earth. You're going to clap one time for Malfini's wing and say, Oh, yes. 
and now you have your parts, and we can begin the story. Creak, crack. Long, long, long time ago, there was that kind of weather that they call a drought. Nothing growing anywhere, 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 except in the garden of a man by the name of Kanzo. Now, Kanzo had figured out how to get the last water from the rivers and the streams to flow through his fields in small rivulets. We call those irrigation ditches. Everything in Kanzo's garden was growing tall, 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 and soon Kanzo had enough to feed Kanzo, Kanzo's family, Kanzo's village, maybe the whole island, but you see, Kanzo was a greedy, greedy man. He didn't want anyone to get anything from him unless he was willing to give it. So Kanzo built a fence around his field, the fence dug down deep, deep, deep into the ground so nothing could dig under that fence. The fence squeezed tight, tight, tightly together so nothing could squeeze through that fence. The fence rose high, high, high in the air so nothing could jump over that fence. But if a little butterfly should flutter down into Kanzo's garden and settle on a leaf, Kanzo picked up his walking stick next to the door and chased the butterfly out of the garden. He would shout, no, 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 to a butterfly. If a tiny, teeny, little bitty, eensy-weensy beetle landed on a blade of grass in Kanzo's garden, Kanzo picked up his walking stick next to the door, chased the beetle out of the garden. He would shout, no, 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 to a beetle. Silly, greedy man. What he did not know was that the birds had gathered in their drying up, shriveling up forest, and they were talking to one another. The birds said, you know what? We all live in the same neighborhood, and neighbors are family. Even though some are big and some are small, some are short and some are tall, some have different songs to sing, different colored feathers in their wing, we all live in the same neighborhood. And neighbors are family. Everybody hungry in this neighborhood, child. And there is a thing we could do. If we all work together, we could get something to eat. If we all fly into Kanzo's garden, same time, same time. Kanzo can't chase everybody out same time. Now some birds fly, but some birds eat. While some birds eat, other birds fly. And pretty soon, everybody have plenty, plenty to eat. Does this sound like a good idea? Well, the little bluebird said, Oh, yes, morning dove said, Oh, yes, Malfini Hawk said, oh, yes. And as the birds began to discuss who would fly in first and who would fly in fastest, they heard a little sound coming from underneath a drying up, shriveling up tree. A little sniffling, <laughs> snuffling, <laughs> whining, <laughs> pouting, crying sound. <laughs> and there was little Turtle, crying his buggy eyeballs out underneath that drying up, shriveling up tree. Well, the bird said, Turtle, what is your problem? Turtle said, 
Turtle's hungry too. But Turtle can't get in the Kanzo's garden. Turtle can't dig under that fence. Turtle can't squeeze through that fence. Turtle can't jump over that fence. And Turtle does not have wings, so Turtle can't fly. The bird said, oh, Turtle, be quiet. All that boohoo, it ain't gonna get you nowhere. Now you live in the same neighborhood that we do, and even though you definitely don't look like we do, neighbors are family. Now we got plenty, plenty feathers in our wings. Maybe if we each give you one feather... Turtle, maybe you could fly into the garden. Turtle said, You do that for me? Well, the bluebird said, Oh, yes, Morning Dove said, Oh, yes, Malfini Hawk said, Oh, yes. And each bird held out the left wing. Hold out your left wing, or your other left. It'll work in this story. And each bird pulled out one feather. Each bird stuck a feather into Turtle's little arm. Turtle said, ow! Merci, but thank you. And Turtle tried to fly. The bird said, Turtle, what's wrong with you now? Turtle said, Turtle only got one wing. Turtle can't fly. The bird said, oh, Turtle, we got plenty, plenty more feathers. We give you another feather. And each bird held out the right wing. Hold out your right wing or your other right. And each bird pulled out one feather. Each bird stuck a feather into Turtle's other arm. Turtle said, ow. Merci, but thank you. And Turtle tried to fly. The bird said, Turtle, what is wrong with you now? Turtle said, Shell too heavy. And you got feathers in your tails. Turtle does not have feathers in his tail. Turtle can't fly. The bird said, Turtle, stop it. We give you tail feathers too. And each bird reached carefully into the tail feathers. Ooh, reach carefully into your tail feathers. Each bird pulled out one feather. And each bird stuck a feather into Turtle's little tail. Turtle said, ow! Merci, but thank you. And Turtle tried to fly. Turtle figured out if he flapped his arms hard, 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 spun his tail around like a helicopter propeller, he could fly. <laughs> And now everybody was ready to fly into Kanzo's garden. The bluebirds flew in first. What did they say? 
Yes, that's right. Morning doves flew in next. What did they say? Oh, yes, you've got it. Malfini Hawk flew in next. You know he said, oh, yes. Turtle flew in last. He said, ah! And he landed, ooh, in that garden. And every feather on his body fell out. Well, now everybody was in Kanzo's garden, and they could all get plenty to eat. The birds began to eat, and as they ate, they twittered and they chirped, and Kanzo heard the sounds. He looked out of his door. He saw birds everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Well, Kanzo picked up his walking stick next to the door. He began to chase birds. He shouted, what? No, 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 that's right, to those birds. And some flew, but some ate. Kanzo saw those birds eating, and he tried to chase them. He called out, no, no, no. And some birds flew, but some birds ate. Kanzo chased birds all day, all day, all day. He shouted, no, 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 no. Pretty soon, everybody had had plenty, plenty to eat. The birds were ready to fly out of Kanzo's garden. Well, the bluebirds flew out first. They said, oh, yes. Burp. Morning doves flew out next. They said, Oh, yes. Burp. Malfini Hawk flew out last. He said, Oh, yes. Burp. Excusez-moi. Excuse me, child. But there was still someone stuck in Kanzo's garden. Someone without feathers or wings. Kanzo saw a little turtle sitting in his garden. He began to walk toward that turtle, and as he walked, he swung his walking stick. Turtle saw a big man walking toward him in the garden. The man was swinging a long cane. Turtle was afraid. He tried to pretend he was a rock. He pulled himself into his shell, but Kanzo picked him up and said, Little turtle, how you get into my garden? Did you dig under my fence? Turtle said, Mm-mm. Did you squeeze through my fence? Turtle said, Mm-mm. Did you jump over my fence? Turtle said, Mm-mm. <laughs> well, said Kanzo, Did you fly into my garden? Turtle said, <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Kanzo said, Well, little turtle, You're gonna fly out again. And he picked up that poor little turtle, held the turtle high, high, high over his head, and Kanzo threw the little turtle from the garden. Wah! Turtle said, <laughs> Well, the birds heard that sound, and they knew that neighbors are family. 
The bluebirds flew down and grabbed Turtle's front legs. They said, Oh, yes. Morning doves flew down and grabbed Turtle's back legs. They said, Oh, yes. Malfini Hawk flew down and grabbed Turtle's tail. He said, Oh, yes. Turtle said, Ow! Merci beaucoup, but thank you very much. And when the birds had gotten back to their drying up, shriveling up forest, their bellies were all full. All the birds and turtle were safe and happy because the birds had remembered something that sometimes people forget, that whether you're big or small, short or tall, whether you have different songs to sing, different colored feathers in your wing, voisinage se fan me. Neighbors are family. Oh, yes. Kanso's Garden, a story told for you by Lynn Ford, a story from Haiti. Wrapping up an hour that has included conversations about chili cook-offs and cooking meals for big groups of people, and I'm Sam Payne. Can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.